from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 15th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. The National Basketball Players Association said the players spent the weekend discussing how they could best use their platform and their influence, either by playing or not by playing. Uh, to make sure they move the Black Lives Matter movement forward. The discussions, important discussions that have been going on in this country, that stemmed from a call on Friday uh, with NBPA Vice President Kyrie Irving making a case against resuming the season in Orlando, worrying that it would detract from that message. So we'll discuss what those conversations entailed over the weekend and if they put the season in jeopardy. Also, Major League Baseball and the players reaching somewhat of a stalemate. The players rejecting the latest MLB offer and saying, hey, just let us know, schedule the season, and we'll be there. But also, by the way, let us know by end of business on Monday what those plans are. They still don't have in place health and safety uh, protocols, so even if there were a schedule, doesn't mean that they could come right back. We'll dig into their stalemate as well. But we will get more clarity on all these fronts. ESPN can be hosting a special today with the commissioners of all major sports leagues, even some athletes on the return to play. That is going to be this evening on ESPN. We'll discuss the details all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. As mentioned there from a conversation stemming on Friday night, uh, which nearly 100 NBA players participated in this call, Brooklyn Nets guard and NBA PA Vice President Kyrie Irving made a case against resuming the season in Orlando in late July, uh, worried that it would detract from the important conversations and messages going on right now. Meanwhile, the Players Association Executive Director, Michelle Roberts, she spoke with ESPN to talk about the player discussions and how they were worried about the best way to use their influence and enhance and move this movement forward. She said the players have spent the week in considering how the league's return might affect the Black Lives Matter movement. She told ESPN, quote, it's not a question of play or not play. It's a question of does playing again harm a movement that we absolutely unequivocally embrace? And then whether our play can, in fact, highlight, encourage and enhance this movement. That's what they're talking about. They're not fighting about it. They're talking about it. Several players on the call Friday said they were considering sitting out the remainder of the season in order to better focus their time or focus on social justice issues or because they were uncomfortable with the proposed plans to resume the season with 22 teams in that campus environment in Orlando. Because also keeping in mind that there are going to be some really strict health and safety protocols that they have to follow. So that's another part of this conversation, a separate part. Others, though, arguing that the NBA can bring more attention to the movement by playing and using the league's platforms afforded them once the season resume. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider on players finding that best way to continue the conversation. There's a real conversation going on among players. and I've talked to a number of them, uh, both black and white, who are, are looking at the idea of what is the best way 
to be able to continue the conversation on racial equality that has been ongoing in the league. The world's eyes are going to be on the NBA. Uh, It's going to be beamed uh, everywhere. The ratings are expected to be significant. And this would be uh, the the best possible platform to share a message. Uh, But, you know, there's another part of that conversation that guys are grappling with, and I think sincerely grappling with, whether, you know, that is ultimately the way to go. Uh, The Players Union Executive Director saying she's urged each player to make his own decision on whether it feels appropriate or comfortable to play. There are expected, according to ES2BN, to be some players who decide not to play, but so far no indication that it's enough to compromise the league's plans to return, which have already been approved by the owners in a 29-to-1 vote and team representatives 28-to-0 vote. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, uh, saying he doesn't expect many players to follow Kyrie. I don't think he's an established leader because I think his focus oftentimes shifts dramatically. And I say this having studied him and learned a lot about him and listened to him over the last decade. So while I think his message is very important, I'm not sure that he is the type of person that can lead this movement. And not only that, I do believe that there are incredibly uh, opportunistic ways to use the platform that will be there for the players in Orlando to do so much more positive messaging than any sort of boycott. And if Kyrie or other players feel that not going is enables them individually to further their goals or this message, that's certainly possible. I do not anticipate that this will be something that a large swath of players uh, participate in. Meanwhile, the NBA is preparing the release of two documents to teams this week. The first is a 125-page health and safety manual. That's what I mentioned earlier, detailing the step-by-step protocols from June workouts to July training camps to the eight-game regular season they will have, and then playoff games through October, all of this in Orlando, Florida. The protocols were collectively bargained by a joint task force of players, union leaders, and league executives while in consultation with public health experts retained by both the league and the union. The second document will be a letter of agreement to changes in the collective bargaining agreement to accommodate the 22-team restart to the season. So they've got to sign off on that. Several players on the call on Friday also expressing frustration that it had taken a long time to get answers on details that affect players' financial futures and on the specifics of how health and safety protocols will be enforced during training camp in their home markets and then once teams arrive in Orlando. Uh, The financial part of it is a lot based on individual players' contracts and how incentives will work this year with a shortened season. So a lot of those had to be worked out. Uh, NBA PA president Chris Paul joined Irving's call on Friday night, and he told members more than once that they were certainly free to make personal choices on playing again, but they did need to consider and understand the financial implications of staying at home. LeBron James, not part of the call on Friday, having previously made his position clear. Um, We know that James, uh, incredibly powerful voice, and uh, according to the ESPN report, sources around James saying he believes he can affect social change and Im- and amplify his impact while playing, as he did in 2014 when he called for Donald Sterling's removal from the NBA and in 2012 when he and teammates with the Heat wore hoodies in response to the death of Trayvon Martin. 
Uh, in the NBA and NBA PA agreement, player choose, players who choose to not join their teams in the bubble campus environment will not be penalized by teams, but they will lose payment on games missed. One ninety-second of the money owed to them. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball, they have stalled. Uh, Players Association rejecting the latest proposal by Major League Baseball uh, over the weekend. And in lieu of making a counteroffer, simply issued a statement that any further negotiations would be futile, charging the MLB uh, to set a schedule for the 2020 season based on the agreement they reached back in March. It means we'll likely see fewer games in 2020 because based on that agreement, the owners are beholden to paying players their full prorated salary. But ultimately here, both parties losing out. It adds fuel to the labor tension fire between these two parties and with a new CBA on the horizon in the future of baseball. But uncertain at the moment, both sides will end up losing out on an opportunity to get more eyes on the sport, more young eyes on the sport, which to me is what they so desperately need. I'm a lifelong baseball fan, but uh, you're missing out on a generation of baseball fans. If you watched Long Gone Summer last night on ESPN uh, and you saw how the McGuire-Sosa-like rivalry helped out after the 94 strike and a lot of people losing uh losing out on their love for baseball, them bringing it back and having it uh, to the point where everyone in the country is tuned in. They just need to watch baseball and they know what's going on in baseball based on this home run chase and and this rivalry. Uh, That's baseball, what they so desperately need. And of course, they need to come back and they need to play in order for that to happen. But according to the statement on Saturday night, Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Director Tony Clark Uh, saying that any further negotiation at this point would be futile. MLB, in our statement responding on Saturday, said, quote, we are disappointed that the MLB has chosen not to negotiate in good faith over resumption of play after MLB has made three successive proposals that would provide players, clubs, and our fans with an amicable resolution to a very difficult situation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Jeff Passan on the conversations being done between the MLB and the MLBPA. I'll play it for you next right here on The Blitz. Plus, uh, some news on the Seahawks. It's right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to the Blitz Six with you cruise alongside with you Monday, June 15th. Before the break, we're discussing MLB and the MLB Players Association, their stalemate over the weekend. The players saying, hey, we know that negotiation uh, is now reached a standstill and any further efforts on our part would be futile. So please just set the schedule. Let us know what it is. Uh, also, they really want that schedule by the end of business today so they know your plans. They know their plans. Uh, and MLB responding say, saying they are disappointed the players will not negotiate further with them. Jeff Passan on conversations being done between these two parties. It's so difficult to say any of this right now, Hannah, because the two sides have been talking past one another for going on two months right now. You look at the proposals that each side has given, and it's almost like they've been completely ignoring the other side. These have not been negotiations. These haven't even been discussions, and yet the ball is in Major League Baseball's court at this point. Per its March agreement with the union, it has the ability to impose a season of its desired length. Rob Manfred and others have talked about a season in the 
range of 48, 50 games, somewhere in that neighborhood. But at this point, the, uh, the league could come back to the union and say, okay, you have a choice. We're going to put on either a 48 or 50 game season with a regular amount of playoffs, or we're going to put on a maybe 60 or 62 game season with expanded playoffs. You players choose. And this seems to be the end game at this point where we finally figure out just how much baseball is going to be played. Even if there were a schedule to to appear right now, there'd still be some hurdles to beginning the season. The parties do not have an agreement on a health and safety protocol and would need one before kicking off spring training 2.0. Any season would be scheduled to start after a three-week spring training, though a coronavirus outbreak could change the league's plans. Multiple players on 40-man rosters have tested positive for the virus recently, according to ESPN's latest report up right now on ESPN.com. If MLB does implement a season, both parties could file grievances to be heard by an arbiter, though neither would necessarily delay games being played. Uh, The union can file a grievance that the league did not fulfill its obligation to play the most games possible. Uh, Jeff Passan explaining how that would work. Part of a collective bargaining agreement, if you have it in place still and you do not show up for work, that is an illegal strike. And the players recognize that as part of their March agreement, they agreed that the commissioner had the right to set a schedule. Now, what they can do is go and grieve. Now, they can file a grievance. They would go to spring training. They would play under grievance, you know, with, with the season starting maybe as early as July 14th, but it could start in August. And if there is a grievance setting, it would just be even uglier than it's been already and lead into two. 2021 with a new collective bargaining agreement uh, in the worst state we've seen since 1994. The league could also file a grievance over a lack of good faith negotiations regarding salary by the union. MLB has said it will lose billions of dollars a season and even more if it plays without fans in the stands, leading to it asking players to take a cut off the prorated portion of their salaries. But the players standing firm on wanting that full proration. The union has sought financial information to validate the league's projections, opening the book's request, uh, and said that documentation provided by the league has not sufficiently backed up the numbers that they're claiming and still at the standstill. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball reached a billion-dollar deal with Turner Sports over the weekend, giving the broadcast company continued rights to air playoff games. The exact value and length of the new contract are not immediately known, according to a presentation, though, from the commissioner's office to the players union that was obtained by the Associated Press last month. Turner was paying $310 million this year as part of a $787 million postseason media package that also includes Fox, ESPN, MLB Network and international broadcasts. If you are curious about how all of the leagues will go about approaching the restart of sports, ESPN will host a conversation with commissioners from the top U.S. sports leagues today regarding resuming competition amid the coronavirus pandemic. That's going to be a sports center special and will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern time, 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. Uh, commissioners Roger Goodell, Adam Silver, Rob Manfred, Gary Bettman, Kathy Engelbert, and Don Garber are expected to participate in the discussion hosted by Mike Greenberg. Discussions will also will address health and safety for players and workers in a return to play, playing without fans and attendance, potential broadcast changes, and the economic impact the leagues are facing. There will be 
uh, there will also be discussions on social justice reforms among leagues, teams and players following the death of George Floyd last month while in police custody and ensuing demonstrations throughout the United States. Also expected to take part will be some big uh, name players or coaches, including Los Angeles Angels manager Joe Madden, uh, Portland Trailblazers guard Damian Lillard, Baltimore Ravens defensive end Calais Campbell. You've got Chicago Blackhawks winger Patrick Kane. And uh, also a couple other players representing the MLS, representing the WNBA, going to be on that broadcast. So remember, that is from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 to 8 Pacific Time on ESPN this evening. Up next on the Blitz, Blitz College Football is in a very unique position. Ohio State football players and their parents asked to sign an acknowledgement of risk waiver regarding the COVID ban pandemic before returning to campus. Will this be the norm among college campuses? It's next on Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you hanging out Monday, June 15th. Ohio State football players and parents, they were asked to sign an acknowledgement of risk waiver regarding the coronavirus pandemic before returning to campus for voluntary workouts on June 8th. According to their athletic director, Gene Smith, he confirmed it to ESPN this weekend. It was called the Buckeye Pledge, obtained and reported by the Columbus Dispatch, and it asked players to, quote, help stop the spread of COVID-19 and accept that, quote, I may be exposed to COVID-19 and other infections. By signing the two-page electronic pledge, players agree to testing and potential self-quarantining, monitoring for symptoms, reporting any potential exposure in a prompt manner, and to practice centers for disease control and prevention guidelines, such as wearing a mask and practicing social distancing. The waiver states that any failure to comply with the Buckeye Pledge may lead to immediate removal of athletic participation privileges, not um, athletic scholarship, and or the inability to use athletics facilities. Every football player has signed the waiver, according to a school spokesperson who also said the university is not sharing cumulative testing information publicly. Smith said the waiver is intended more for educational purposes than it is for liability. As for schools across the country, they have begun to bring athletes back for voluntary workouts. Many athletic directors have expressed similar concerns about what Ohio State's plan aims to curtail student athletes, uh, you know, the the all the time pressure of being a student where you want to be social. So athletic departments, every level have been making uh, plans to keep players safe while following and often exceeding, according to the ESPN report CDC guideline. There's only so much they can do, though, once players leave the controlled environments uh, that they have, the athletic facilities. Meanwhile, Clemson's football team participated in a march uh, in support of equality on Saturday that started at Bowman Field on the university campus and lasted just under two hours. Thousands of people in attendance. The march to raise awareness of social injustices and police brutality experienced by black Americans was organized by four Clemson players. It's pretty cool. Uh, running back Darian Rencher, linebacker Mike Jones Jr., wide receiver Cornell Powell, and quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Prior to the start of the event, uh, the event, Trevor Lawrence said that this isn't just a stance that we want to take for a single day and then forget and then move on with our lives. We really want to fight for this every day. And that's really the commitment that we're making by going 
this uh, doing this today. We got to hear from Dabo Swinney, who has been in the news a lot lately, but uh, on on standing with his players as part of this march. Our team loves each other. Our team is united, unified, and ready to continue to be a light in the darkness and to continue to lead. I'm incredibly proud of this group, so proud of what I've been able to see them do. And I'm so thankful that they chose me as their head coach, and I'm thankful that they chose to come to Clemson. I know they need me, and I stand with them and will do all I can to help them unify people and create the positive change that they seek. Dabo Swinney also talking about respecting past players. New Hopkins will always be remembered for his amazing career and fourth and 16. And Deshaun Watson will always be remembered for his fearless leadership and how he led us to our first national championship in 35 years. They both brought us a lot of joy, a lot of joy to Clemson. We should no longer expect them or our players to hear our cheers if we do not hear their cries. This past week, Swinney drew criticism for not firing assistant Danny Perman after Perman used a racial slur during a practice in 2017. Swinney addressed the situation in a 14-minute statement on Monday in which he offered support for his players, encouraged them to push for change. But in that speech this past Saturday, Swinney, you heard him mentioning a former Houston Texans teammates, former Clemson players, DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, who led the charge on social media to petition that Clemson remove the name of John C. Calhoun from the school's Honors College. Calhoun, who served as vice president under John Quincy Adams from 18 to 25 to 1829 and under Andrew Jackson as well, advocated for slavery, calling it, quote, a positive good. Clemson's board of trustees voted Friday to change the name from Calhoun Honors College to Clemson University Honors College. So uh, those players speaking up and making an impact uh, right away. Uh, also, Dabo talking about the, the historic time and uh, in our country. Clemson is a special place, and we saw again why that is today. This is a historic time and a challenging time, but as I tell my team all the time, challenge is what creates change. I believe with all my heart that God stopped the world in 2020 so we would have perfect vision and clearly see the social and racial injustices and the changes that need to occur in our society. Nobody, nobody should feel less or be treated as less because of the color of their skin. God loves every single one of us the same. Black lives more than matter. Black lives significantly matter and equally matter. Trevor Lawrence, QB, also talking about this, uh, their decision and the seniors wanting to bring everyone together. I think really the momentum from the past few weeks has really um, helped a lot with us planning this and having, you know, having the freedom to be able to do it, which has been awesome. And we got together as a team about two weeks ago, or as seniors two weeks ago uh, at Coach Sweeney's house and just started to have some conversations about what's going on in our country and just how how each other feels and we started to kind of understand one another a little bit better and then from there we did that in a team setting the next week and we realized like this is really good we need to we need to get people together bring people together for a common purpose um, peacefully and we just feel like today is a good way to do that and I feel like we set it up in a way where it'll be peaceful and it'll it'll create some change. Wanting everyone to listen and learn from one another Trevor Lawrence. So let's continue to listen learn 
and love even when it is uncomfortable, especially when it's uncomfortable. Because this is when change happens, and the world for generations to come will be different. It'll be better. And also, as I mentioned, that comment about they wants it to be just more than a one-day fight. It's not something that they want to forget about anytime soon. But we want to be a continuation and for the days to come for change. You know, this isn't just a, um, I guess, a, a stance that we want to take for one day and then forget about it and move on with our lives. We really want to fight for this every day. And that's really the commitment that we're making by doing this today. Darian Rencher, Clemson running back, uh, summing everything up for the crowd and saying that he wants everyone to stand in solidarity together. The struggle for freedom means more than just sympathy, but solidarity. Sympathy feels bad about a situation. Solidarity joins us. They stand, they stand with people who are struggling and they fight for them, which you guys have done today. Black is beautiful. Black is proud. Black is wonderful. Black is not less than. Black is just as good. Black is wonderful. Uh, pretty powerful there. Uh, meanwhile, in the NFL, the Seahawks, uh, they have, we heard from Pete Carroll last week on his decision or the Seahawks decision uh, not to sign Colin Kaepernick, believing that he was a starter, deserved to be a starter elsewhere in the NFL. And Pete Carroll on a offseason media conference last week speaking about that. Lewis Riddick speaking that there will be mixed feelings if Kaepernick does, in fact, get signed. For some people, it would be something that needs to happen. For some people, they would feel as though that it's not authentic. It's just an opportunistic move. It's just something that they have done their proper risk assessment, and they have assessed that at this point in time, he's not, quote-unquote, bad for business like they thought he was back in 2016. You know, back in 2016. So that, that's, that's the number one thing that I think right now that people will really have to kind of really, you know, just kind of get straight in their head whether which way they fall on this and how they feel about this and you know I kind of I kind of go back and forth obviously the NFL owes him much more than what they have given him and he and he deserves an opportunity to to come back to the NFL and play if he still wants to play which every indication is that he does they owe him that opportunity I just wonder whether or not you know people will ever really give the NFL or whatever team it is that signs him the credit that normally you would give someone considering the fact that it just seems like a very opportunistic move at this point in time now, there is a lot of criticism thrown the Seahawks way because uh, because they didn't sign him now in retrospect. And a lot of people believing even though they were the only team uh, to to seriously consider signing him, that they should have done so. Well, is it fair to put all of that weight on the Seahawks and not be critical of every other team as well? There's some differing opinions on that. Dominic Foxworth uh, on on his side of it. It is fair to be a little harder on the Seahawks for the exact reason that you just said. It was a perfect fit there. That is one of the few places where it's a perfect fit. And I think a lot of other people had awful excuses that have no uh, credibility. But in there, it made more sense than anywhere else because you also go down to style of play. And while I think that teams in the Ravens showed us a couple years ago that teams can switch from a kind of traditional pocket passing quarterback to a more athletic quarterback midseason – the, the Seahawks didn't have that problem. They had an athletic quarterback who could have used a quality athletic backup, and the idea that he was going to threaten Russell uh, Wilson for the starting job wasn't even something that was on the table. And I've never heard a coach, general manager, player, or anybody say, we don't want that guy because he's too good. So I think it's fair to be more a little harsher on the Seahawks. And then for um, Pete Carroll to say afterwards that he got a call from a team, like, what's that? Why is he going to put that? He also said, I'm not going to tell you who called, but a team called me to to look for to try to find out more information about Colin Kaepernick. 
That is from Mina Kimes. So hearing Mina's perspective and that conversation as well, that it's not fair to single out the Seahawks. First, every team passed on Colin Kaepernick. So it is unfair, I think, to single out the Seahawks, given that they were one of maybe two teams, counting Baltimore, that even took an interest. I know that conversation going to continue on Danny and Gallant this morning, which is just now 20 minutes away. But up next on the Blitz, it is time for the hot list, the latest on the NBA returning some players wondering if it will detract from an important message right now for them to return to basketball. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Dr. Myron Roll is a a former NFL player and current neurosurgeon. Not a bad resume, right? And they've had him on a few times on Golik and Wingo in the past couple of months. It's been really neat to hear from him because he has the perspective of being a frontline essential worker, but also being a, a former NFL player and trying to understand coming back amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. He uh, talked about how he wishes sports would wait a year to return. To the leagues and commissioners, I know that we want to get back to sports, but I, I, I just honestly believe that it's probably best to go slower with this because uh, we, we can go without sports for a year. I think that's okay. I think we'll make it. You know, We have such a great um, fan base and, and such a great appetite for sports that it won't, it won't go anywhere. Uh, Dr. Roll is still worried that the virus could still run rampant. I'm very conservative by nature just being a medical provider, and I, I think that there's a lot that we know. We have a lot of data points, a lot of data entry right now as it pertains to COVID-19. We have statistics, we have some research going out, and it's helping. Uh, obviously, as mentioned, we have the therapeutic regimen that's being developed and I think has been um, you know, been moving almost at light speed to get it mm-hmm. uh, for full consumption by uh, by all of us. Uh, but at the same time, there's still a lot that we don't know. There's still a chance for this to really run rampant in an activity by nature and inherently has you close to each other. You know, you can't avoid being in a huddle in a football game. You can't avoid trying to defend a player and having your hand on their back and, you know, sweat going from one player to another. You can't avoid some of these things. Dr. Myron Roll on Golik and Wingo also talking about some of the racial disparities that exist in healthcare as well as the NFL. It's unfortunate that some of the emerging non-communicable diseases like diabetes, hypertension, obesity are disproportionately affecting these groups. Now, why is that? Well, I mean, do we just have a genetic predisposition to this or is there some sort of lack or gap in healthcare that just doesn't afford black and brown people, people in poor situations, the opportunity to be seen by a primary care physician, have the money to afford maintaining their medication to sort of thwart their chronic conditions. You know, there's a lot of different factors that go on. So having these sort of off-the-cuff and offline conversations with my brothers who I played football with certainly helped sort of prepare my mind and get myself ready for what I saw here at COVID-19, and it's real. The healthcare disparity is is certainly serious. It's real in Boston. It's real all over the country. COVID-19 just drove uh, an even bigger gap between those who have and those who don't have, and, and we saw that play out, unfortunately. Dr. Roll on with Golik and Wingo, former NFL player and current neurosurgeon. Did you have fun watching Long Gone Summer last night on ESPN? 
the latest 30 for 30, a two-hour special on the home run chase, the record chase between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in 1998. Man, it's been a good year to be a Chicago sports fan in 98, as we've seen lately on, on ESPN. But uh, this one particularly interesting because of the parallels you could draw from 1994 and and the uh, what happened there with the lockout, with not having a World Series, baseball missing out on on playing and losing a lot of fan and fan interest as a result, and how this battle between Sosa and between McGuire really brought a lot of that back, a lot of love for the sport. Now underneath it all was an undercurrent of the fact that steroids uh, were running rampant throughout the league at the time, but. Still, all the less didn't take away from the attention it drew to the sport and the interest it drew. Mark McGuire also, we learned he's a little bit of a natural introvert, I would say. And he felt that during that chase, all the pressure was on him, not on Sosa. Yeah, all the pressure was on me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was pressure, but it was like, yeah, the pressure was on me. I knew how tough it is to get to 50, but nobody ever talks about it. Everybody wants to talk about 61, 62. I remember being swarmed. I'd probably say maybe 60 reporters, like, in a circle around me. And I remember making the comment and just, and just, like, God, I feel like a caged animal. And I got hammered for that. Afterwards, too, in response to some of the steroids questions, uh, a lot of it placed on to big names, prominent names in this. And Sammy Sosa, on how reasonable did it feel that he was asked to answer for a lot of this? Well, pretty much I can say that, uh, you know, we, that year in 98, you know, we put everything, you know, I mean, we have a plan and we put everything together. We came out on top of everybody else. So that's why, you know, normally after 22 years, you know, we just being, you know, in the hip array, like I say, uh, I don't have no problem to represent anybody well, but I don't, you know, what I don't like is, you know, take a blame from somebody else. So, but, uh, you know, um, uh, that was a year that uh, we had to do what we had to do. Uh, we winning baseball back. I mean, so many million people watched that. And uh, um, I feel great uh, to come, you know, to the Chicago Cup. They gave me the opportunity to be the player that I was. And, um, you know, I put in show for everybody else. So pretty much, you know, uh, you know I mean, tw- you know, after 22 years, you know, it's been great. Sosa had a, a mercurial end to his time in Chicago, suspended for using a cork bat, and then uh, some issues with his trade. And uh, he hasn't been invited back to Wrigley Field since, it said at the end of the documentary. Uh, does he want to return to Chicago? Yes, he does. Uh, of course I want to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, Chicago was my house. I mean, normally in 98 through my 13 years that I, you know, you know, that I was in Chicago, I play every day pretty much. I play hard. People remember me because I play hard. I run hard to the right field every day. So I have a lot of joy. I have a, I know, a lot of memory. I mean, Chicago, all my number, I made it with Chicago Cubs. So pretty much I, I expecting, you know, that in the near future, you know, come back to Chicago and, you know, they, you know, they can work on me back and, you know, we continue living our life. Tony LaRusso also featured on that documentary, Long Gone Summer, and was asked, uh, does the steroid use take away from the story? Well, it has to. You know, and I, I believe that at whatever date you want to pinpoint that, you know, sometime in the early 90s, you know, with, you know, Caminetti or, you know, Jose, whoever it was, I'm not going to start getting into names and it's not the point of this conversation. Whenever it started to become apparent that there was stuff going on, uh, that that 
era till about the you know, the early 2000s when you know they, they, we were allowed to do testing. You know, once the union and, and MLB got together on it, I, I think that that you know that whole period's got an asterisk, a black black mark, whatever it is that you have to say. Look, you know, there's some stuff that happened here. Unfortunately, it was happening with pitchers too. So you know, you, someone you know, I, I forget who just mentioned it earlier. It wasn't a question of. You know, not having skill because you still, you know, a lot of guys bulked up and couldn't do much more. But the effect of that on, on minor leaguers and, and high schoolers is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a bad period in our game. And that's why it may be hard for some people to focus on what was going on in 98. But if you take the moment, man, it was beyond exciting. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool to watch that documentary and just made me realize how much I miss baseball. We'll dig into where the where baseball and the players uh, association stand as of yet, but it is been cool or has been cool to see a number of big name athletes use their platform for important messages. And Robert Griffin III, Ravens quarterback, on on wanting to forward the message for Black Lives Matter. And uh, the change coming is real, he says. Really, it's, uh, it's been phenomenal to see how many people have gone out, uh, protested, and how many people have spoken up. Um, the momentum for change right now is uh, probably something I've never seen in my lifetime. You know, that's only been uh, 30 years. And uh, I think people are, are really starting to pay attention and, and we can en- en- enact some great change uh, over these next couple of years. Robert Griffin III, also the concern with playing NFL games. There's so many more people that go into putting on a fully televised NFL game day than there are that go into putting on a fully televised UFC event. I think that's kind of the the struggle right now, right? The coronavirus, COVID-19, is a serious thing. And what many people aren't talking about is the fact that in the NFL, a lot of our big guys, right, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, these are the guys who are who are most at risk to catch the coronavirus because they have these you know these disabilities or these conditions, you know, by the nature of being six six seven three hundred and sixty pounds, right? And they're the ones who are experiencing the, the severe reactions to the to the virus. So it's it's it is. It may be humanly impossible to try to put on an NFL season like it used to be, and I and I and I heard what Coach said about that, about meeting rooms, about you know uh, meeting time on the field, whether or not we're going to be in the building or not for for our meetings. How can we social distance in a locker room? All these different things, um, but at the same time, we you know you may have to to try to do that to just make sure our guys stay safe. So um, I know one thing: Coach is completely focused. On winning, we're completely focused on winning. We're doing everything we can to make sure uh, we're ready for the football season. It's just going to be—it's going to be a weird year, you know. Uh, but I got my coaches back 100. If, if he—if he feels like it's humanly impossible, then maybe we just have to do some otherworldly things to get ready to go. And that was in response to his coach John Harbaugh saying the uh, health and safety protocols made it nearly impossible or humanly possible for for them to work. So saying that he supports that there, Robert Griffin III. Golf returned over the weekend, albeit with no fans. Daniel Berger taking the top spot at the Charles Schwab Challenge, made a 10-foot birdie putt on the 18th hole. And response to uh, deafening silence, it's a huge moment. No spectators allowed at Colonial. So uh, just kind of 
that adapting to not that there is much noise uh, when golf is played anyway, but adapting to that new reality. Berger got into the playoff when Colin Morikawa missed a six-foot birdie putt for the win. Xander Shoffley missing his try from 25 feet out. Uh, the PGA Tour spent two months learning about COVID-19 pandemic, trying to develop their safety and health protocols for returning. And the tour administered 487 tests for the new coronavirus at Colonial. The results on all of them came back negative which is uh, very good news. Not so good news where Major League Baseball and the Players Association stand right now. The players rejected MLB's latest offer over the weekend in lieu of a counteroffer issued a statement uh, on behalf of the Players Association, Tony Clark, saying that any further negotiations would be futile. It paves the way for MLB to set a schedule for the 2020 season based on the agreement reached by both parties in March. It means we'll likely see fewer games, probably something in the 48-50 game range in in 2020, because based on that agreement, the owners are beholden to paying players their full prorated salary. And we know by all of their proposals, they do not want to do that. So less games likely going to happen. And as a result, ultimately, both parties losing out uh, on future Future dividends in in this regard, it only adds fuel to the labor tension fire between the two parties. And with new CBA on the horizon, future of baseball still up in the air. Both sides losing out on their opportunity to get more eyes on the sport, more young eyes on the sport. They will now have to go up against the NBA, who uh, could go with the December start next year. And uh, they desperately need that that young infusion and that youth audience for long-term growth and sustainability. We'll keep you updated on the latest for the MLB return. And remember, tonight, a special on ESPN uh, beginning, I believe, at 9 p.m. Eastern time, going to 11, which is going to have the commissioners of all the major sports leagues to talk about the return to safe play in 2020. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Galant coming your way in seconds right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.